Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. I want to welcome today Paul McGee, who is a visiting professor at the University of Chester in the United Kingdom and a Sunday Times bestselling author. He is recognized as one of Europe's leading speakers in the areas of change, resilience, well-being, and self-leadership. He has worked with over 1,000 organizations worldwide and has spoken in 41 countries. The highlight being when he worked with Dr. Stephen Covey, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in Australia. His work has also seen him work for one of England's leading soccer teams, Manchester City, as a performance coach, sports psychologist. He is also known as the sumo guy, and we're about to find out why. Hello, Paul, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hi, Leticia. It's absolutely great to be with you. It really is. Well, I'm I'm very excited and I'm definitely going to ask more. But, uh, you know, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People is one of the very first books I read, uh, you know, with and, and Stephen Covey is wow. So I was so impressed. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so happy he said yes to Back to Basics. So, Paul, I mean, there's so much I want to talk about. But, you know, I always start the interview by asking you about who was Paul as a child? What were your dreams? And I always try to establish, is there anything in your childhood that kind of set the course for, for what you are doing now? Sure. I mean, Letitia, in some ways, you start with, with what I have to be honest is a challenging question when I think about my childhood. We don't need to go into all the detail, but I suppose psychological abuse was, was part of my journey divorce, witnessing domestic violence by some of your listeners already going, this is a cheery start to the podcast, Paul. <laughs> but it's about being honest and authentic, isn't it? And I think you could argue that all that happened in my childhood obviously has shaped and influenced me and who I am today. I suppose one of the things that I would say was that I was, I was brought up um, to have a strong faith, and that certainly sustained me and helped me in many ways. I never felt I was on my own, even though at the age of 10, I ran away from home. And there was that side of things. But there was also what I feel fortunate about in my childhood is I discovered something that I was pretty good at. And that was I liked acting and I liked drama. And, um, and I think finding something that can give you because people talk about self-esteem, but I think a lot about self-esteem is not about looking at yourself in a mirror, going, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger, I'm amazing, I love myself. I think it's about finding affirmation in life at times by finding that you have some value and some worth because, hey, I have found something I seem to be quite good at. And I love sport, you call it soccer, we call it football. And I, and I was okay at that and I played badminton and ping pong, table tennis. And I was always about average. But when it came to like public speaking competitions, when it came to acting and drama, that I just seemed to have a natural talent and love for. And I think also what I learned 
um, as a child and into my teenage years, where I was, you know, I'm, I was like the, probably the the shortest boy. The short, we went to an all boys school, and, and I was the shortest child in my year. And and so I got lots of stuff going on at home, and, and I'm potentially opened up to being bullied because of my height. And yet, so I learned, I suppose I learned without realising it, it was more of an intuitive thing. I learned to try and use humour to diffuse situations because I couldn't use muscle. I couldn't use my physical stature because I didn't have any physical stature. And so I suppose humour and, and my love of acting and also the sense that I had a faith um, and we could talk about what that means or doesn't mean because it can mean lots of different things to different people. But there was this just this sense you're not on your own. And, and that all shaped and influenced me during what were very traumatic times, uh, you know, on occasions. But, I, you know, when I, I'm clearly not unscathed and I, I've certainly got some scars. But, you know, by, by the grace of God, by, by the grace of support of other people, and, um, and through learning to forgive my own failings and, and accepting some of my flaws... I'm now in the place that I am today. Oh, that's uh, that's powerful. And I always like to ask that question because, you know, obviously in over 100 interviews, you had all sorts of backgrounds. And uh, one of mine is make sure anybody listening out there, you know, that's going through difficult times or that has a child that's going, you know, with what you say. Like sometimes my son says I am the slower runner. And he, and I can tell already, like when you're mentioning about humor and he's kind of the funny guy. <laughs> and, and you yeah. know, of the and now I'm thinking maybe that's what he's doing, you know, like trying to. So there's so much we can learn from seeing how others have you know surpassed a situation and, and obviously it's it's always a little sad to hear that that as a child you know every child should have a, a stable and and you know uh, loving and, and happy upbringing but if that's the journey that's the journey and, and, and the fact that you embrace it and I'm helping so many based on what on what you got had to go through that that's really inspiring so so when the time come to as a young adult or as an adult to say okay now I have to make a living out of something did you embrace that talent that you had to to get you started professionally based well, on what, what is interesting what is when I got to the age to go of maybe 14 or 15 really I, I had so, so when the two, time come um, to as a young adult or as an one adult was to maybe say okay to now I have to make a living out of something actor. did you embrace and that one talent to that you had maybe to, be a journalist to get you started and, and professionally and what's interesting is on one level neither of those things happened but what has happened is I'm, I'm I mean I'm a speaker I'm an author and I'm a coach but I guess when I'm on stage speaking at a conference, there is a certain degree of performance. And also I've written 12 books, so I did do the writing. So did it quite pan out uh, the way I thought it would? I'll be an actor, I'll be a journalist. Well, no, but have I been able to use my personality? Have I been able to perform on stage in front of people? And have I been able to write? then yes, I have. Um, but it's not, you know, it was an, an evolution. I mean, I, I I loved people. I was fascinated with people. I did a degree which incorporated behavioral and social psychology. I got on a, a high flyers graduate management program and life was looking great. And I'd recently got married. 
And then in the late 80s, I was struck down with an illness, which I think in the US you call CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. And what was really interesting, Letitia, is when I was diagnosed with that in the late 1980s, it was like eight out of 10 doctors didn't even believe it was a genuine illness. That was all in your head. So I go from this high-flying graduate management trainee to being called, and this is an interesting, think about language and labels. I was then basically disabled and I was hardly able to walk. My wife had to sometimes wash me. When I could walk, it was with a walking stick. It was like the metaphor I sometimes use for people who just don't really understand what the illness is like. It's like you've got no charge on your phone. And so you charge it up overnight. And But when you wake up in the morning, you're on 5%. Wow. And it's like, now there were days when I got to 20%. But do you know what was interesting was I went from this high-flying graduate management trainee, lots of kudos, lots of status. But I went on to what they called in the UK at the time, invalidity benefits. Mm. And if you think about that word invalid, invalid, no use. And, and so for me, the challenge I had at the time was not just you know, I'm ill, which I knew I was, and it wasn't just some psychological thing. But I also had the suspicion of people going, but are you really ill? And I had this new label, you're an invalid, you are invalid. And there was someone had lent me though, and this ages me, a set of uh, cassette tapes by a guy who was like a motivational sales speaker. And you know what, Letitia, I cannot remember anything other than one line. It was like six tapes, but this back in the 1980s. But there was one line stood out for me. And the line went something along the lines of this, like this. Within every adversity, there is a seed of equal or greater opportunity. And I have this phrase, words can change worlds. And, and sometimes you don't need, you know, it's not a book that necessarily always changes your life. It might be one sentence in the book or it might be one comment from a friend or a member of your family. And I, I clung on to that. Within every adversity, there is a seed of equal or greater opportunity. And the nature of my illness was I'd, I'd start to improve psychologically and thinking, I'm getting better, I'm getting better. Now, remember, at the time, I didn't know anybody who'd recovered from the illness. So I didn't have this hope because I didn't know anyone. I couldn't look for evidence of, well, this person had it and now they're fully recovered. And I started to improve and then I'd relapse. And then I'd improve and I'd relapse. And it was it was a tough battle because it was the uncertainty that I lived with. Will I ever recover? But there came a point where I thought, you know, the relapses are less severe. And I thought I'm going to get myself a little part time job maybe work two hours a day. And here's my challenge. Nobody would hire me because I couldn't pass a medical. So here's what I did 30 years ago. I hired myself. I was awesome at the interview, standout candidate, and I passed my own medical. That was 30 years ago, and it's been a journey ever since. People go, oh, I could never have the courage to start my own business. I'm going, I didn't have the courage. I was just like out of necessity. No one would hire me. No one would give me a job. And I went self-employed and became my own boss. That's amazing. If I was Oprah, I would say that's a tweetable moment right there. Like I hire myself. That's yeah. powerful. That, yeah. That's powerful because it, it's true. A lot of people are afraid of hire, 
oneself. Like I always say it in the way, like if you are not your biggest cheerleader, who's going to be your biggest cheerleader? And this is kind of the same thing. Like if you're not willing to hire yourself and see what you can do, in your case, out of necessity. Sure. So, but when you have options, maybe it's harder, right? Because you say, well, but I'm comfy where I am and why do I need to do this? It, and it's, it is interesting because the more I look at, I'm trying to understand myself and other people, I, I would describe people as well like a cocktail of paradoxes. And what I mean by that is, because sometimes I believe in myself, I really do. But the, and there's also that naivety to believe that this guy who's got hardly any background in doing anything could be hired by a company to help their staff. That is naive. But I had a bit of belief. But then other times I'm, I'm, I've like got the, you know self doubt on my shoulder, you know tapping and, and and you know you've got the imposter syndrome. And then I've got the naivety to believe, yeah, but I could do something. I could go for it. And and it's not that we're just one or the other. We can be both and they can be contradictory. And I suppose part of what life is about is deciding which one, which, which voice do you listen to most and be aware because people, I wrote a book called Self-Confidence and I had a disagreement with my publisher because they said, you know, on the, on the blurb that would be on Amazon, you know, learn how to eliminate self-doubt. And I went, I don't know whether you do learn to eliminate it, you learn to manage it. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe sometimes a little bit of self-doubt can be healthy and sometimes being a little bit almost like delusional and naive can also be helpful to believe why would anyone listen to me well why not let's give it a go let's see and you know life is an adventure and and sometimes you go down a road and you get lost and you come to a block end and you go all right but it's like you're not a tree. You can move. You're not in the same place. Let's try something else. I love it. And 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 also that decisions that we make and things we explore, they they are don't uh, you know we're not marrying them. Like I was saying uh, to you earlier before the interview, I said, well, we recently achieved a hundred episodes. Never did I set myself to say, oh, we're gonna get to a hundred, and I'm gonna have this person or that person. I just say, take it one day at a time, one interview at a time. Brilliant. And I've shared this. There's moments where I started doing like solo episodes at the very beginning because I, I couldn't secure a guest. And so mm-hmm. and so I said, how am I going to? But I want to publish every week. So how do I do it? And th- mm-hmm. then I came up with the idea. Well, I'm going to I'm going to be the guest and I'm going to yeah. share, you know, and then they started doing really well. My solo episodes as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that. But, you know, it's what you have to do when you're committed to make it happen. And now I haven't done a solo episode in I don't know how long, but I have to schedule it myself. But, it's, it, but that's inspirational in itself, isn't it? And, and it's not just that you, you know, you are interviewing guests, but you've gone on your journey. And, I, and it's, sometimes it's like, you know, I got this phrase, you know, start with the molehill, then build mm-hmm. the mountain so that yes. you start. You can, you can dream big, but start small. Yes. yes. You know, it's OK to start small. And like you say, suddenly you're at 100 episodes. It's like when people say, well, I've never got time to write a book. How do you write a book? And I go, usually a paragraph at a time works for me. <laughs> exactly. What I mean. and, <laughs> and another big mistake people make, just so I, while I'm th- thinking of it, is some people are waiting for the motivation before they do anything. And you said something very interesting earlier, Letitia. You went, I made a commitment. Mm-hmm. I made a commitment to do publish a podcast every week. 
Yeah. All of a sudden, it's not that you would have always felt motivated. You made a commitment. And I have this phrase, feelings follow actions. So sometimes we're waiting for the feeling before we take the action. And I'm suddenly saying, take the action and the feelings yeah. will follow. Make a commitment. And, and we, we're so, I think this, this is a bit dodgy now, particularly for a so-called motivational speaker. You know what, Letitia, and I'll say this quietly, I think motivation is overrated. I think it's about healthy habits. I think it's about making a commitment. I think it's about showing up even when you don't want to. That, that's what I think. And yes, we like a little bit of intrinsic motivation is nice. But, you know, I'm known as a sumo guy. And, and sumo, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but it was an acronym. It just simply stood for this. Shut up, move on. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. Shut up, move on. But it became an umbrella term to describe a number of principles. Then we started to do work in schools and they love the ideas, but they're a bit think, hang on a minute, shut up, move on, sounds a bit aggressive. So we had an alternative definition for SUMO and that was stop, understand, move on. But this really excites me because I didn't know this when I wrote the book. SUMO is a word, not as an acronym, but is, is a word in Latin. And do you know what SUMO in Latin means? to choose oh wow so, oh, that's so there's a latin phrase sumo vita and you know what that means choose life so mm. i've realized that a lot of what i'm talking about is it's about making choices and, and a friend of mine drew povey who's a leadership speaker he's got this phrase every day every day is a choose day c-h-o-o-s-e every day is a choose day so it's not Every day is do I feel motivated or not day. Every day is a Tuesday. And, you know, when you look at the work of uh, James Clear and his book in Atomic Habits, it's about the compound effect. It's about those daily choices you make over time add up. You've got to, well, how did you manage to do 100 podcasts? One at a time. Because I've made a commitment. I showed up. I interviewed myself to begin with. You know, and so what I talk about, you're 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 like a living example of about let's just do this. And and I just hope that your listeners, you know, recognize, yeah, it's it's choose it's a Tuesday, it's every day is a Tuesday. And don't despise there's a there's a verse in the old testament in the Hebrew Bible, don't despise the day of small things. And and what I partly take of that is don't underestimate those small steps. Don't underestimate those small daily choices you make because there is the compound effect. They add up over time and they have con choices have consequences. And sometimes it's a choice of what you will do and suddenly make a choice in deciding what not to do. Anyway, you're getting me all enthusiastic. No. You're not going to say a word. This is, this is why I do the podcast. When I don't speak, it's great because I am, you know, the, what you say, it's, it's so powerful. And, and you're right. I mean, and I shared with you early on and for those that are going to watch the video when it's published, I'm on my boat today. I'm on vacation with the family and we're on a boating trip. And, you know, but, the, but I don't see taping a podcast as work. Right. So I yeah. have my computer. And uh, my husband is like, so what do they I have? I'm taping a podcast today. And, uh, you know, I could choose to say I'm on vacation. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. But then it's you, you fall out of that habit that you mentioned of yeah, the rhythm. Absolutely. And, 
And then the other thing is I'm not doing it. It's not something that, yes, you have to organize and logistically has to work. I got everybody off the boat to the pool so that I can tape this. So everybody makes an effort. But you know what? After I join them, after this conversation, I'll be a better person because you have inspired me like this conversation. It's just giving me something. And I always say I feel guilty because I get these amazing guests and, you know, they share their wisdom with me. Well, well, that, that's great. By the way, did you, I, I thought this was going to be audio only. So I've got a broken blind and we've got a rather, this is breaking news for my US audience. I'm in the northwest of England and sunshine has appeared briefly. So if some of you are looking, thinking, has he got a halo? No, I've got my blinds <laughs> broken. I'm just going to see if I can adjust it ever so slightly so you don't think I've got that's, a halo. Um, but maybe not yeah. anyway, who knows? Nice. Anyway. It looks good. It looks good. And, and it's, you know, sometimes when it's really good interviews, I love to publish it via video so that they can see you. So so tell me about, I mean, you wrote uh, 12 books yeah. and now, and you've spoken so many places. And I definitely, you mentioned briefly about uh, the work you do with the youth, which I think it's really important because those, those, uh, the well-being of our, of our younger, uh, you know, people, it's so important. So tell, tell me about what's exciting you these days, what you're working on. I mean, share with us, what are you I think one of the things when I left school, because I had no real expectations about, you know, I've got I've got a job where, you know, so I wanted to maybe go to drama school, I ended up working as a bank clerk. And and, it, and I hated it. I think the bank hated me as well. It wasn't a, a, a marriage made in heaven. And, and in my mind, Letitia, at that point, it was like I didn't like education. I liked a bit of drama, I liked a bit of sport, but I wasn't great academically. I didn't mind a little bit of English and history, but that was it. And so when I left school, I thought my education is over. But when I got what we call in the UK, I don't know what the equivalent is in the US, I got what they call A-levels. These are exams you take when you're 17 or 18. And I'd already got this job in a bank. And then do you know what happened? I ended up getting really good grades. And so I ended up opening the door to university, which is what I did for four years. And I suppose what looking back at how i had an interest in psychology and people fascinate me and looking at my own dysfunctional upbringing you know we've we struggle there are so many you know when i was started talking about stress we didn't use the word well-being we didn't use mental health we didn't use the word resilience but i i had an interest in stress from almost like you know over 30 years ago and one of the things that you can think about is we've got lots of people who are struggling in life. And the metaphor you could use is you're pulling them out of the river. You're trying to help them and help them stop drowning. But if you think about it, we can spend so much of our resources trying to help pull people out of the river. But go go further down to the head of the river and, and try and find out why they're jumping in in the first place. And if you can stop them jumping in, then, you know, uh, there was, I'll find his name at some stage and I'll email it so you can maybe put it in the show notes. But there was an American uh, gentleman who basically said, I'd rather, I'd rather build healthy children than repair broken adults. And I'm like, so because I was a broken adult and, and I've still got, you know, but in those breakages, maybe it helps the light shine through and we're all flawed anyway. So I get all of that. But there are I don't want to keep on just giving people, oh, let's help them get out of the river. No, let's stop them drowning and let's stop them jumping into the river in the first place, if you can, if that metaphor makes sense. And so for me, 
and maybe more so now than ever, working with young people, and I wrote this book called Yes, The Sumo Secrets to Being a Positive, Confident Teenager, although it seems children from the age of nine onwards are really enjoying it. In fact, adults are as well. In fact, not everyone will be able to see this, but you know, we, I wanted to make it a really strong visual. Oh, that's great. Book. I'm going to get it for my son. I wanted kids who would maybe not even pick up a book, particularly around the kind of topic I'm talking about. I want them to get so curious and intrigued that they'd want to start to read it. And so I'm I'm, I'm thinking about stuff now in the UK, what it's like in the US, but, you know, one of the most, one of the biggest killers of, of, of kids is suicide. And I'm almost, it's flipping hard. It's hard, and it's like suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And if we could just help children to understand their emotions a bit more, that feelings are valid, but they feelings fade. Fe- feelings aren't facts necessarily. You know, don't believe everything you think about yourself, and if it's not helping you. And it, there is, there are choices. There's options. There's, there's. And just, you know, it's okay to not always feel okay. Sit with your sadness, digest your disappointment, process your pain, you know, write, make, write, do a song, but you don't have to make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't no. like this, but when you say, what am I excited about? And maybe excitement's not quite the right word, but I just feel we need tools. We need tools. We need insights. We need awareness. We need compassion. We need understanding for adults, definitely. Because we haven't, you know, we've got access now to more things than we've ever had before in terms of, you know, YouTube, TED Talks and podcasts, etc. But children, we need to educate them not about the American Civil War as well. That's fine. But what about the civil war going inside your head and your emotions right now? What, what about, you know, we've got, we call it the Battle of Hastings in 1066. That's what we learned in school. Yeah, but I need to learn about my own inner battles. How do I deal with my own inner demons? And I suppose, I don't know if the word is excitement, but I just feel a bit driven really to um, share some stuff that might be helpful. Sorry. I'm maybe not making as much sense now, but I just got a little bit emotional there. Sorry. No, this is great. I think that I love when we can discuss subjects that are important, you know, and uh, I live in the U.S. I'm not originally from the U.S. I'm from Venezuela, but my kids are American. And sometimes I tell my husband, who's Dutch, when we drop our kids at school, that, you know, coming from one of the most violent countries in the world, which is Venezuela, I never felt unsafe in school. Like there are some places that were the safest place. And I say, how strange that now we're living in the United States, which is one of the greatest countries in the world, because it is with many problems and many good things. But the fact that I don't feel safe, you know, that Mm -hmm. I don't feel at ease when I leave my kids at school because of all the things that has happened at school, it's so contradictory, right? So you see that it's kind of what you're saying is there are several problems that are, you know, if, if, if the youth have these thoughts and, and I sometimes I, I see my son and he says things sometimes like, oh, I'm the worst. Like he's so dramatic. Right. Yeah. And we sometimes say I wasn't that dramatic and it didn't feel like the world was sending. But the way they approach problems, yeah. 
Yeah. Definitely seems very different than how we approach it when we were younger, like the younger generations. And that's something that concerns me too. So I definitely going to get him your book. <laughs> to see. And it is, you know, just in, in the book, I talk about how our brains work. I use sort of very visual metaphors. But based on like Daniel Kahneman's work, the book Thinking Fast and Slow and Fast Brain and Slow Brain, well, I just use a couple of baseball caps. The red cap represents our fast brain. The blue cap is our more our slow brain, but our more logical, reflective brain. And, you know, also when you're an adolescent, you go through your teenage years, that the, the slow part of your brain, the blue cap, the more rational, reflexive part of your brain isn't even fully matured until your mid-20s, maybe in your late 20s in some cases, so I'm trying to help young people and parents stop and understand before we can move on. And we all need, you know, and I think as a parent, what I'd be careful of is the bad habits I picked up. Be careful of passing them on to other people and also not dismissing where my kids are at. And the world they live in is very different. I mean, if we'd have been having a conversation, if we'd have been meeting in a cafe, if we'd have walked into a cafe on June the 28th, 2007, you'd have walked into the cafe for a start. I mean, we're only talking 14 years ago. You'd have, you'd have had about two choices of coffee. That's it. You'd have seen people sat around chatting and conversing. You might have had someone reading a book, someone reading a newspaper, you know, you know, print, you know, reading the news on paper that was actually talking about what happened yesterday. But that's how it was on June the 28th, 2007. That would have been a typical thing. And I use that date because it was the day after then that Steve Jobs goes, today, Apple reinvents the phone. And we suddenly had Apple uh, iPhones. And, so, and we suddenly, Facebook, which you know, able to, up until that point, really access via um, a, a computer. And now, all of a sudden, it's on your phone. And then there's Twitter arrives. And then there's YouTube. And then there's Instagram. You know, in the last 14 years, we've had a tsunami of change. And, and, and I'm not anti-technology at all. I'm not even anti-social media. I think it can be used for good. But let's be honest, it can be used for bad. And, and when I was a kid and when you were a kid, you know, maybe, maybe there were two or three kids who were really shone in, 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 the, in, the, in the class and in our year. And we kind of like, well, I'm not like you. But our comparison was, was maybe to 30 or so other people. Now, with social media, you compare yourself against 7 billion plus people. And, and, it, and it's the world 14 years, in 14 years, it all changed. It all changed. And some of it has been for the good and some of it hasn't. And it will keep changing. Unfortunately, uh, as I say, I always struggle because I'm in, I'm in telecommunications. So, you know what the technology we roll out and we deploy. And I'm always talking about, well, this 5G is going to be disruptive. And, he, and so you're in the middle of it. And I guess part of why I did this podcast is, yeah, but human connection needs to prevail. You know, we need to make sure that, that we stay connected uh, to, does, to what it, we're doing. We're getting we're getting schools who are saying, I'm so pleased that you've written a book, that it's not an online program at the moment. It's a book. It's something physical that kids are gonna have to sort of like feel and flick through the pages and read. And and and, and yeah, you're so right about this this whole we, we need connection. 
And, and it's not that kids aren't connected, but I don't always know if it's meaningful connection. And, and meaningful connection comes from sometimes long conversations, not quick text messages. And it, and it comes from being outside and going on walks and looking each other in the eye sometimes and, 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 and appreciating a moment without feeling you've got to suddenly take a photo of it and put it on Instagram. You know what I mean? And it's savoring your food and your meal. And and just and and let and I'm not I'm not prepared to just as a 56-year-old go, I'm not going to criticize the younger generation at all. And neither am I prepared just, but now I'm prepared just to sit back and go, well, it's the way it is now. It's like, yeah, well, you know, there's a Chinese proverb, don't curse the darkness, light a candle. And I think if we all light candles between us, we're going to shed some light on a few things that would be good. And we'll maximize the positives of technology, but we'll help kids hopefully to embrace some of the positive aspects of childhood. Because despite my pretty traumatic childhood, there would have been good times. There would have been good moments. Um, and, and I just think we need to embrace the richness and diversity of, of, of things, but also have some real compassion and understanding for our kids. One of the little phrase, um, there used to be a phrase which said, prepare the child for the road. The concern I've got is we're now preparing the road for the child. In other words, in the past, we've said to kids, the road will be bumpy at times, and here's how to navigate it and deal with it. You know, prepare the child for the road. Now, we're trying to smooth things out for the kids to take risks away. You know, and there's a, there's a book written by Jonathan Heights called The Coddling of the American Mind. And if we're not careful, we overprotect children so much. And then you wonder why they lack resilience. You wonder why the first time they have a setback, they, they're going to like seem like collapse. I don't know if you have this. Do you have a game in the US called Snakes and Ladders? Yes. Do you have a game called Snakes and Ladders? Not, it's not like the most sophisticated of games. But, you know, no, you yes, roll... Yes. You roll the dice, you land on a snake, you go down. You you roll the yes. dice, you land on a on a ladder, you go up. And I like to say to people and help children understand life is a game of snakes and ladders. There will be snakes. And I think some adults are paranoid. Get rid of the snakes, get rid of the snakes, make life really easy for the children. Overprotect over protect them, protect them. It's like, no, sometimes you've got to prepare them. You try and protect them because you care for them. But someone's going to go, you're going to land on a snake. No, you know, uh, your, yeah, pet might, your pet might die. You might not, you might break up with your, your date. You might not get the best results in your whole class. But we've got to equip kids to understand how to understand our emotions, but then how to deal with those setbacks, maybe as well as deal with our successes as well. So that's why we say what I'm excited about. There's a lot of different things. And it is still, I want to work with adults. That's my main thing but i want to collaborate collaborate and partner with any organization that's trying to help support children particularly around mental and emotional well-being and and i do say that deliberately partner because we're a very small business you know with limited capabilities and capacity but i am passionate and i've, I've done enough research to know that some of the stuff i talk about can be helpful but I need to collaborate and I'm collaborating and partnering with other organizations to try and make a flipping difference to kids' lives. Remember, it's about let's build healthy children rather than repair broken adults.
Well, I definitely uh, will include all the the information about uh, what you're doing in the show notes and, and be on the lookout because I really think it's something I'm passionate about too in terms of how do we uh, help plant better seeds and, and, and give the kids the tool. I once heard someone say, it was actually a, a Catholic nun that said, any unsolicited help provided to either a child or an adult, but she was talking about that, can become a handicap in that child's life. So basically, if you help them before they even have asked for help, which we tend to do, yeah. then then you are creating a handicap for that person because now they they, they didn't resolve it on their own. And and I know we, as a parent, we tend to do like the first instinct is to help them yeah. <laughs> rather rather than say, well, let me see if they can figure this out on their own. Yeah, and 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 I understand the intention behind all of that, and it's a good intention. But there's a difference between sometimes between an intention and an impact. And the intention is from a place of love, but actually the impact could be quite a negative one. So it's and it's never, you know, being a parent is the hardest job on the planet. And and maybe the you know equally up there is learning to understand yourself, the power, you know, this cocktail of paradoxes that we are. But I think. Over time, you know, the, your podcast, your guests, your insights and all the other stuff that we've got there. Um, out there, I'm a big fan of Brené Brown, I'm a big fan, fan of a woman called Susan Gilbert. Um, there's, there's a lot of ideas and insights out there that can begin to help us. But I don't think it's there. You know, for, for me, my philosophy in life is it's not it's not about you, Paul. It's about us. And actually, you find most fulfillment out of serving and helping other people. And, you know, if I go back to, you know, my, my sort of early days of faith and I think about um, whatever you think of the character of Jesus. But one of the things that he did, apart from, well, he did many things clearly, but he also one of the last acts he did before he was crucified is he washed his disciples' feet. And, and, and later on says, you know, do this in remembrance of me, which was, you know, they were feasting, but oh, but maybe there was do this in remembrance of me was maybe think about what we did earlier in the evening, guys. I washed your feet. And and I think fulfillment and, and real meaning and purpose in life and, and real happiness comes not from what I can get, but what I can give. So I, I understand, Letitia, that even being on this podcast is for me a bit of a selfish act. That doing all that I do, there's a certain degree of selfishness to it. Because I know that in hopefully trying to help other people, in doing so, I'm also helping myself as well. But anyway, that that's just a little bit my, um, my little philosophy. No. Let's wash feet a little bit more and uh, look out for the needs of others, and then realize just how much joy it brings you. Wow, that's that's powerful. And and you know, no matter what spiritual path you're in, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian, but you know, I read a lot of the Buddhism and all the other philosophies, yeah, yeah, and they all coincide. And they all coincide in how can I be of help? Like they all coincide in happiness and fulfillment always comes by putting yourself at the service of others somehow. And yeah. And so I think that's a very, very valid point that you bring. So, uh, Paul, I mean, I know I can be chatting for hours. I know you have a YouTube channel that it's amazing. And the link will be on the on the show notes because there's so many videos. As I do my research for the podcast, I say, oh, my God, this is so great that I definitely um, will use it as reference. So I invite everybody in the audience just listening because we we focus a lot on the on the youngsters. But 
Paul being a professor, being an international speaker, a motivator, and he works with organizations to really make sure that we all have the, the right uh, frame of mind. And uh, my last question of every interview is, you know, about what makes you tick besides everything else that you've shared with us, which obviously you're very passionate about motivating people. But in times like that very bad news about your diagnosis that you got or times where something went wrong and you feel down, you feel the battery down. Is there anything you tap into, a place, a thought, a song, anything that says, oh, this is my recharge right here? I think in some ways, sometimes I like to go for walks. And, and sometimes that is just on my own. I like my solitude and my silence. As soon as seemingly comes over as an extrovert boy do I like my space and my solitude but I think also when you go out into nature and and maybe where some of you guys are listening from you've got more you see a bit more sunshine than we do in the northwest of England but I just feel it, it takes me out of myself and I notice nature and I think one of the things maybe that what makes me tick is I've learned the importance of gratitude and appreciation and and even in your struggles you know, you can go out and you can suddenly, I mean, yesterday sounds a bit dodgy. I saw what I realized was two swans, I think, were mating. And someone said, what, you're into swan porn? I went, no, 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 I'm not into swan porn. <laughs> yeah, I just happen to know them. Yeah, wait, you're a voyeur, you're a voyeur. I went, no, I was just walking along near the reservoir. I saw these two swans and I suddenly realized there was some mating ritual. But that was magic. You know, there's, um, there's a, a teaching in... Um, by a, by a rabbi who says, I have two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. And on, in one pocket, it says, you are made from dust. And in the other pocket, it says, the universe was made for you. And what I sometimes think is, when I'm feeling amazing and feeling, oh, I'm flipping fantastic, I'm on fire, maybe I sometimes need to read the pa paper that says, you are made from dust. And sometimes when I'm low, and feeling down, I need to remind myself the universe was made for you. Because there's 7.56, 7. billion, whatever it is, people on the planet. But at that precise moment, when I looked at those two swans interacting and the sun was rising, there was no one else around. There was no one else on planet Earth who was observing, observing what I was observing. And, and so I think for me, get, get out of your own head and get out into nature and appreciate the privilege of life, even when it's a struggle, is probably what makes me tick. Well, uh, that's uh, what an ending. I thank you so much, uh, Paul. This has been very, very inspirational. I know the audience would be, you know, so, so in awe, as in us and I am right now. And uh, I look forward to uh, getting your book for my son and getting other books that I saw there that are very, very, sound very intriguing. And, uh, you know, we thank you for being in Back to Basics and wish you the best of luck. Okay. It's been a real pleasure. Love chatting to you. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe Rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. 
Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.